Whether you operate one forklift or thousands, one location or hundreds, the new My Toyota customer portal can help you optimize your operation and material handling equipment. This one-stop, free-to-use platform is designed to help you take control of your information and make smarter decisions, all at the touch of a button. Register and access your data today at my.toyotaforklift.com. That's my.toyotaforklift.com. The New Warehouse Podcast, hosted by Kevin Lawton, is your source for insights and ideas from the distribution, transportation, and logistics industry. A new episode every Monday morning brings you the latest from industry experts and thought leaders. And now, here's Kevin. Hi, it's Kevin Lawton with the New Warehouse Podcast, bringing you a new episode today. This is part of our material handling wholesaler partnership, and we are bringing you an episode as a component of the November 2020 cover story, which is focusing on automation during the pandemic. As a reminder, you can check out the November 2020 issue at mhwmag.com. Today, I'm going to be joined by Nathan Bivens. He is the CTO at Fort Robotics and also Martin McVicker. At, he is the managing director from CombiLift, and he's joining us actually from Ireland as well. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about automation, um, what is going on in the current state of automation, and kind of how the pandemic has affected automation and the industry in general. Um, so, fellas, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Kevin. Yeah. Is, it, is it morning for you, uh, Martin, in Ireland? What time yeah, is it? But it's, it's afternoon. It's 1 okay. p.m. here. But we, we still Morning's okay for us. No problem. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> okay, no problem. Um, so, so I give I give you guys both a chance um, to kind of tell us a little bit about about your different companies and uh, what it is you guys do. So, so Martin, why don't, why don't you start it off? Yeah. So, uh, thank you for the introduction, Kevin. So, my name is Martin McVicker. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company in Ireland called CombiLift. Mm-hmm. We manufacture specialized forklift trucks that can travel in multi-directionals. So what I'm saying by that is we one of our vehicles, it can travel forward and back like a normal forklift, but can also travel left and right. So it allows our clients that handle long goods to handle them in a smaller area more safely. Mm-hmm. And another vertical within our industry is we have a range of warehousing equipment. It's our Islemaster articulated forklift truck. So it looks like a regular forklift truck but it articulates in the middle and allows our clients to handle palletized goods in in aisles less than 72 inches, Mm. but with great flexibility. So it's a forklift truck that can go straight from very much from dock to rack. It's rubber tired. So so we've very much focused on the narrow aisle market and also the handling of long goods more safely. But in terms of our core business, we, we in our plant in Ireland, we employ 650 people very much. We invest very heavily in R&D. And of the products that we manufacture, North America is our second largest export market. We've been doing business in North America now for more than 20 years. And we have a facility in Greensboro, North Carolina, where mm. we employ 
34 people very much to support the North American market. So North America is very key market for us. And it's a really growth opportunity for us. But thank you very much for the opportunity to speak, Kevin. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, joining us this morning. So, uh, Nathan, what about you? What tell us a little bit about uh, Fort Robotics? Sure. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. Um, yeah, so I'm Nathan Bivens, CTO of uh, Fort Robotics. Um, we we haven't been around 20 years officially, two years, um, but uh-huh. uh, I can give you a little history beyond that. Um, I've been working in the space of robotics, safety, and security um, since around 2012, mm-hmm. uh, where I came from another company called Humanistic Robotics, where we developed uh, robotic solutions for landmine clearance. As you can imagine, these were large, uh, very dangerous machines, and we were automating them often with other people's autonomy, um, which uh, if you've... Uh, if you've been in the autonomy world where uh, you've seen the kind of testing that goes on, you would be nervous working around a 10,000-pound machine a couple feet away running someone else's autonomy that you didn't write. Uh, so we focused heavily on uh, safety and security solutions for those machines um, because we literally just didn't want to get ourselves killed. Right. Um, they're mostly you know, government projects. Uh, they're deployed by the United Nations all over Africa at this point. Um, but we we found that the safety and security technology we had developed really for our own use, actually, um, as the sort of mobile robotics space developed in the <clears throat> 20 teens, let's say, uh, was actually being used by a lot of peers we had in the industry at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's really where Fort Robotics was born to, to, to really take just fo- a focus really just on that uh, safety and security technology. So most people know us today for our very simple applications of wireless emergency, emergency stops and remote controls that are safety certifiable. Um, and it, you know, obviously that's the, the simplest application of wireless communications, but, uh, you know, we, we can do a lot more than that with you know, large networks of, of, uh, of safety devices, both indoor and outdoor. Okay, great. Really interesting. Yeah, so we got kind of two, uh, both automation involved with two kind of different perspectives, I would think, right? um, and the, mm-hmm. from the safety and security and then from the kind of forklift material handling side as well. So so I'm curious, you know, from both your perspective, and this is, this is an open discussion, you guys, so feel free to, you know, go back and forth if you want. And um, so, you know, we're talking about automation and, you know, automation, like, uh, as you mentioned, Nathan, you know, over the past couple of years in the 2000 teens, right, it's kind of kind of grown a lot, I would say. Um, I'm in the warehousing space myself and professionally. And, um, you know, I've seen it as well, um, attending events like ProMad and Modex and seeing just the technology from year to year kind of explode. So I'm curious from, from your perspectives, you know, what, what is the, what would you say is the current state of automation? Where, where are we kind of in automation? I, I, and I'll tell you where I'm at later, but. <laughs> so I, I suppose, and I, I'll kick up, but I'll let Nathan kick in as well. In, mm. in terms of, from a combative perspective, even though we can appreciate COVID-19 has, has hit a lot of markets around the world, but that has not slowed down the pace of automation. You know, the companies that were were planning towards automation haven't they haven't shelved their plans. Some of them maybe had to delay it, you know, by weeks or a few months. But I mean, the investment in automation 
it was at a very high growing pace, as you rightly say, Kevin, mm. and it's there set to continue. So COVID-19 hasn't hampered that in any shape or form. The only thing that I probably think, which is a positive move, because of COVID-19, companies that are investing in automation today are really taking a little bit more time to analyze exactly what they're automating. Mm. And what I mean by that, what was happening there while it, while automation was sort of booming four or five years ago, companies were just saying, we're going to invest in automation. No matter what our system is, we just automate it. Mm. Today, companies are stepping back a little bit and looking at how do I optimize my current process so that whatever I do automate, I'm automating an efficient process because I think the worst thing for any of our consumers or customers to do is to automate a poor process, which is not going to be efficient for that client in the short or in the long term. So I think that has is COVID-19 is really making companies analyze where they're going to get real value for automation. And maybe in some cases, it's not meaning that they have to automate the complete process. I see that companies are starting to look at segments of their process. So if they could automate this segment, that can bring real value. And, and that's where I personally see automation is really going to go leaps and bounds. It's taking segments, it's taking nuggets, making it effective rather than trying to automate everything from, from A to Z. Yeah, I, I think Martin hit it head on. I mean, the mm. we, we've definitely seen, um, especially in the warehousing space, because we, we have customers all over the map you know, warehousing, manufacturing, but also, you know, outdoor construction and agriculture. And and it's been interesting to see what industries have been affected differently uh, during the pandemic. Um, you know, in general, there has not been a slowdown in automation, um, but it's definitely affected different industries differently. You know, warehousing, we've seen a pretty significant, significant acceleration in some of those uh, programs. And, you know, we believe it's, I think, twofold. One, just simply everybody's ordering everything online. There's a, a, a big bump in consumerism, I suppose. So, you know, just there's just a, seems to be a volume increase. And I think all of the, the warehouse owners and operators are desperately trying to figure out how to increase their productivity. Um, we've also seen an interesting uh, impact where in manned operation, they're trying to figure out how to keep um, – uh, social distancing norms mm. and we've had a couple of cases where they've where, where customers have, have been trying to figure out how to get very targeted applications where they're just like their current process requires people to be too close together so they're just quickly trying to put in some change in process which you know often can be uh can be achieved through some form of automation just to simply be able to pull the people farther apart or be able to put a barrier between the people so that then they can still operate uh, safely. So, you know, it, it's been a boon to automation because of that, because it's just the obvious solution in a lot of these cases. Um, obviously, I think it's it's good that we have people, uh, warehouse operators and owners that are concerned enough about their people that they're putting this money in. But ultimately, I think Martin is absolutely right that they're taking a more sophisticated approach to determine how to apply autonomy because they're not just saying, well, I have this warehouse operation. Let me just automate every st uh, step in the process, but right. looking and saying, like, where do I have the biggest need, whether it's driven purely by, uh, you know, some sort of change due to the pandemic or just looking at their process and saying, 
you know, I have sort of my Achilles heel right here. You know, this one stage is where I get backed up all the time. Let me figure out how I can improve that through automation rather than just, you know, throwing more people at it, which was, you know, the, the old way of doing things. And you know, Kevin, if you don't mind, I might just add in a little bit sure. to follow on from Nathan. Um, it, it's really interesting that Nathan has, has also experienced this demand for social distancing in, in manufacturing and mm. packaging and, and whatever warehousing environments because we have seen that across multiple markets, not just in North America. I mean, in, 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 in Ireland, where we are here, the recommended social distance here is, is six feet. And I mean, I know it can vary from market. It can be four feet or six. But I mean, there's this companies are really striving to implement social distancing, both in manufacturing in any kind of process. And we have seen in our facility, we have nine engineers that we offer free warehouse design. So for our clients, these engineers are not designing the product, they're actually analyzing the client's warehouse space, mm -hmm. showing that if they use our vehicles, how they could optimize the, the space and make better use of it. But our demand for our free warehouse design has more than doubled since June this year. Mm -hmm. And that's real evidence. And, and it's very much driven by the demand to implement social distancing because companies are trying to free up more production area or more process area. And I often look at most businesses, particularly manufacturing plants and other ones that's, that does any kind of process. You have three areas in a facility. You have raw materials coming in, you have processing or manufacturing taking place in the middle, and you have you've finished goods being stored for shipping. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the demand for warehouse space is really at its premium because companies are trying to increase this production area in the middle and the only way of doing that is you either shrink the aisles down in your raw material storage and your finished goods, or you look for additional storage space. And that's really where it's, we've seen it in real life examples where companies are really wanting to optimize their warehouse space. And a lot of that is very much driven by COVID-19 and also, of course, the, the, the growth in the e-commerce sector in, in general. So, We'll be back after a quick break. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, interesting points on both sides. I mean, I think that like you said, you know, it's really important, I think, for companies now to look at those smaller segments. And because I think the automation landscape, I guess, has has expanded so much and there's so many different solutions, you're able to kind of look at all those individual components a little more with better options for solutions, too. Um, so, mm -hmm. so it's pretty interesting that that's what you guys are seeing and that, you know, we talk about kind of how social distancing and new mandates or new norms or practices because of COVID is kind of um, driving um, the need, I guess, for automation in some aspects. So I'm curious, you know, is the, you know, we talked about how automation and robotics kind of advancing in the last couple of years in the 2000 teens, you mentioned Nathan, um, but, you know, has 
do you think there's been any acceleration in not not a, not adoption of automation, but just the technology itself due to the pandemic? I would say definitely. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, th- there's. I see sort of on the on the technology side, I come from a, a, a hardware background myself, so I'm, I'm a sort of a chip and a board computer guy. Um, <laughs> and I've seen just an explosion in the in the capabilities of the hardware of the sensors. And then because of that, the software that's running on them. So the intelligence of the systems that are available at reasonable cost that can be integrated into machines. You know, we, we've I had a an advisor as a professor at um, at Carnegie Mellon, advisor in a previous company, who mm. always talked about him. He was amazed that these people doing autonomous cars were getting so much press because he had actually had driven an autonomous car across the com- uh, across the country in the late nineties. Oh, wow. um, it was a you know minivan full of computers and cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, with, which had the equivalent, you know, the, the computing power of something that could fit in the palm of your hand today. So it could be done. Now I'm sure that the new, the, the autonomy back then was not nearly as safe, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but still, you know, it could be achieved. It's sort of like the the comparison of uh, the you know moon lander to a uh, in the 60s to a calculator today. It's mm-hmm. it's silly how much computing power we have, but you could achieve the same goal, but it's done much, much better today, even though it's uh, kind of amazing how much computing power we have. So yeah, I think that enabled by all those core technologies, we've seen real advancements in in autonomy software, in reliability of the software, in sensing capabilities. Mm. Um, you know, we're, we're not at any sort of singularity or endpoint here with any of these. There, there continue to be advancements. Um, but I think that is is one of the things that's driving adoption because it's it's making them more capable. Uh, people are are trusting the solutions more, um, and they're making them more uh, more achievable, really, because they're just simply lower cost, easier to manage, lower power, those kinds of things. Um, so it's just something that's more people are more capable of using in mass rather than these highly specialized solutions um, because of their just cost or or space prohibitive. Really interesting. And I, I think Kevin may be leading on from that. I think in the in the automation field, and and we we are personally involved in it. But the you know collaboration is happening much more fluidly today than it was a few years ago. Because I think at the early stage of automation, companies just wanted to do their thing and keep it private and whatever. But the reality is, our customers or our consumers that's going to use automated vehicles, do they really want? Specialized piece of equipment from CombiLift as a supplier that runs a certain system, and then another system from another supplier that runs a different package, mm. and another one, another package. So the whole integration of automation is going to be key for for automation to really be successful, and that's where really the whole warehouse management software. So I think for companies that are not currently running an effective warehouse management software today it's very challenging for them to really start to implement automation that brings value. Uh, like I know for a combi lift as a business, we have partnered up with the Belgium company through a European R&D fund called uh, Eureka. Mm-hmm. And we've been approved in terms of collaboration with the Belgium company for our automated vehicles. And we see that as really gonna be a great step for us that our uh, Belgium partner will become our European integrator and I can see for North America 
we will actually partner with an integrator in the North American market, you know, to bring that to the market, to, to the users themselves. And, and and I think the other, I mean, when, when you think of, of automation, I think what's key is, okay, we all think of automation to improve productivity. And I know Nathan alluded initially is there's a, it's very important that, or not even important, a lot of companies are looking at the safety aspect. So there's so much more safety possibilities that can be integrated into automated processes. Mm. And, and I think, you know, North America is a great example. You know, safety is very important to every business, but safety is going to be a big driver to automation for the future. And, and I think, you know, that whole thing coming back to safety and integration I do feel there's a lot more both Europe and North America could could do together in terms of developing international standards that are the same across the two continents, mm -hmm. because there is that bit of divergence between North American automation standards and European. So I think integrating them together will, will bring value in, in both the short to medium term. Yeah, I, th I think I think Martin hit hit the nail on the head again there. You know, we we sit on a lot of these committees in the RIA, and 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 I'm certainly very familiar with all the European standards. And there there's there's a lot of similarity, but there's enough divergence that it can be a real pain to try to meet them all. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, I think his point on um, on integration of of and collaboration between sort of disparate systems. We we talk a lot about the, the heterogeneous worksite and and how there's a real challenge when integrating multiple machines and we think as these machines become more intelligent there ends up being a trust issue you know who, who who's, whose machine's fault is it if it comes from two different manufacturers and how they in interface with each other and, and that's actually something that we we're really working towards because we, we we don't build machines we just make sure that they operate properly and that they can really establish trust and that that's a almost a challenge for the future as these machines become you know, move from being more just guided vehicles being told where to go and be, being more more like the the amr um that, that i know the raa really talks about that that's making a lot more uh decisions on its own where then obviously uh two machines can make the wrong decision just in the way, same way that two people can make the wrong decision and end up you know with some sort of a safety incident i think we we now have that problem with machines and it's a little harder to there's no established norms for how to de to, to determine uh who is at fault and how to correct it interesting yeah, yeah really interesting points and i think the point on uh collaboration is really really a key to kind of moving forward even going back to what we had talked about previously with looking at smaller segments of the process and how to automate it because if you're just going to stick some automation solution into your process then you need to communicate with the flow of everything else that's happening as you add different components then you need to work together um, to make that happen and then it sounds like sounds like we need some collaboration between north america and europe too on uh, standards right from your guys opinion um <laughs> so yeah i mean it, it's really interesting to see how you know automation is kind of growing and expanding and then how the pandemic has pushed people to kind of um get into automation as well like we had talked about out of kind of necessity um just by allowing them to have that social distancing um but i'm curious you know i've, I've talked to a couple other companies as well during this in the past few months and you know they've said that they had plans for automation 
maybe three years from now or a couple years out from now. But because of the pandemic and because of, you know, the social distancing needs, but also um, having issues getting labor as well, um, they've kind of pulled those plans in forward. Um, so I'm curious from your guys' perspective, you know, what if you th- if these companies have pulled in kind of their plans for going to automation um, into now instead of over the next few years, um, do you think that that kind of changes the landscape of automation over the next few years? Do you think it becomes more more advanced more quickly than what we may have been expecting pre-COVID? Do you want to go ahead and answer first, yeah? <laughs> sure. Um, so, you know, I will say, you know, we're, we're pretty, we have a lot of customers in the, in the startup world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you that they are all trying to accelerate their development um, to meet customer demands. So, you know, people doing things a little more, you know, a little different <laughs> as startups tend yeah. to do. Um but they're they're all getting pushed to try to bring in the development of their technologies so they can actually you know get them deployed not just in a couple of test sites but bring in the actual like mass deployments um, based on those customer demands. You know, those few customers they had signed up to do a little test are now saying, actually, I really like this. Let me get this you know all over my my, my facilities. Um, you know, and that that all trickles down obviously, because, you know, there's companies using, you know, building some sort of machine. Um, they're then buying, you know, sensors and cameras and other platforms and software to, to integrate. Um, and then, you know, we're seeing partners of ours that are working in those spaces uh, accelerating as well. So, and that all translates to, you know, five years from now being farther ahead than we would have been otherwise. So, yeah, I think that there is a longer term effect here beyond just, oh yeah, there's this pandemic, we're gonna see more deployment um, faster than we originally thought. I think there is almost like a, a, a slower, longer term effect of, of the technology itself becoming um, more advanced more quickly. Because I, I think unlike the autonomous car space where I think people, the investment was a little ahead of the technology, um, I think in, in, in you know, more industrial automation, warehousing, manufacturing, the technology is, is really, it's pretty much ready for a lot of the applications that, that most people need. Um, and now it's just a matter of, of driving that change. And you, you're, you're, you're right that it's going to be driven by things like the pandemic, but then also just general labor shortages, which I think both the U.S. and North America in general and then Europe are also feeling that it's just hard to find people to keep these facilities uh, operating and it's obviously a huge driver then toward toward automation yeah and, and i think nathan following on i mean you know it, it, in europe is very similar to north america it's becoming more challenging for businesses to find skilled labor i mean mm-hmm. we all know maybe we can find labor but finding skilled operators to operate forklift trucks efficiently and safely is a challenge because you know there is a learning curve and I used to always have, think of the term, I grew up on a family farm. And, you know, when you grow up on a family farm, you're familiar with machinery. So to operate a forklift truck, okay, it's another piece of machine, but you've had some experience with machinery while from a young age. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that are coming into this workforce in warehousing and manufacturing plants, they less and less have that farming experience or hands-on farming experience. 
So it's a bigger learning curve for them to become skilled operators on forklift trucks. It doesn't matter whether it's the combi lift forklift or any other brand. And I see personally with the whole automation is even, I mean, and as you rightly say, Kevin, there's a big growth in automation, mm. but I think it's forklift manufacturers like CombiLift and others, we really as, 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 as manufacturers or OEMs really need to develop more systems into our vehicles to make our vehicles easier to operate for a non-skilled operator. Mm. So it's very much adding systems in, in built in that allows an operator to operate our vehicle more safely and efficiently with less of a training curve. And we've already started to do that as a business. In fact, um, just one system we've incorporated as a standard option, we call it the Combi Safe Lift. So it's a system where we add that, because if you take a traditional forklift operator, we have a load capacity chart on the forklift truck that advises the operator what the forklift truck is rated to lift. Mm. But the forklift truck operator is going to lift this pallet where there's a pallet of, 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 of gold or a pallet of, of cardboard packaging, it's very difficult for the operator to know exactly what weight's in the pallet. So we're telling them, you know what, the weight needs to be within that parameter. The load center has to be 24 inches or less to lift. So, you know, we're asking the forklift operator not just to know how to drive it, but we're asking them to continue to do calculations in their mind, looking at what they're lifting. Is the forklift truck rated for it? So we've we've developed this system in-house. It's not rocket science, it's a very simple combi safe lift. We've incorporated strain gauges with, with some automation where when the forklift truck operator goes to lift a load that's too heavy or does not engage the forks properly into the load. So effectively saying the load center is too big. We have a hydraulic cutout so the operator, the truck acts in an overload scenario. Mm. And I just think the forklift truck industry probably there's more we can do as OEM manufacturers to incorporate more safety features that are very much in the automation space. You know, the learnings from automation can be incorporated into vehicles, even if the full warehouse is not automated as such. So, mm. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point. That often I think we, and I, I'm a victim of this as well, and we, you talk, think about automation, you're thinking about these, you know, fully autonomous robots roaming around. But, but what Martin pointed out is a, a fantastic, uh, application of automation that, that you know we would call either task autonomy where it's like very narrow functionality or, or just simply almost like an operator assist function that, that mm. it, there's a huge variety in, of applications and, and um, uh, you know real real opportunity to assist operators and it's interesting to point out that you know it increases safety but but he's absolutely right that it in it lowers the bar for operation that you might not need as as much skill out of an operator to get a certain level of productivity because the machine can actually take some of the guesswork out of it. Some of the things where you know, the operator just needed to have that gut feeling and know how the thing was going to work every time, the machine sort of fills in that gap. You know, I'm I guess <laughs> I guess maybe Martin and I are dating ourselves, but I, I the first thing I drove was a tractor on my, my family farm. So, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I was chuckling as he was describing being able to just hop into a forklift. I did the same thing. I'd never driven a forklift until I worked at the previous company and I just was able to hop in it and drive it around. But I know other people got in and sat there and looked at the controls like, what do I do with this thing? Um, so yeah, there's, there's a familiarity with this kind of stuff. And, you know, there's a, the, 
newer generations, right? Where, where there are less people working on farms, are not exposed to that that kind of equipment. They're not. It's so we we need to adapt the equipment to be much more familiar to the the you know the younger generations. And I you know I hate to say that and sound strangely mm-hmm. ageist, but that's not that's not what how I, I intended. <laughs> it just things change, and and we can't yeah. keep the machines and the workspace the same as it has always been because people change and what they expect and what they're comfortable with change. So we need to use technology to uh, to adapt to to make people be more productive and safer in these environments. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty interesting um, that you guys brought up the the safety aspect in that um, regard. Um, I think that you know with automation, it's it's increasingly, but you know, I don't think that. I mean, pers- this is my personal opinion that I don't I don't think that you know we are very close to seeing like a, a what they would call a dark warehouse that's like fully automated. So I think there's still that reliability on the human worker and needing that labor. So. Um, so I love that you guys are bringing in the safety aspect that we need to, you know, still remember that we need to remain safe, even though we're advancing technology and all these things. And like you guys are talking about, we need to make things more user friendly as well. And I think, you know, I've seen it from personal experience too, Al, um, just even like um, the mobile handheld devices that are used in the warehouse are becoming more like a, like a cell phone basically, because pe- that's what people are familiar with. So. Yeah. So it's interesting how you guys are making the, uh, well, it's, it's interesting that you guys both grew up on farms. Um, so, um, but it's also interesting that you guys are bringing in kind of that, that aspect and how that familiarity um, can kind of now be carried over into, into a different industry. Um, so, so definitely really thank you for um, sharing those, those insights with us. Um, it's pretty interesting. Now, um, my, my kind of last question here is, you know, while, while, Adoption of automation is kind of kind of inevitable, I think, in today's landscape um, and within the industry. Um, you know, companies that are larger, obviously, like the Amazons of the world. I mean, they just go and buy like a robotics company if they want to get automation, right? That's essentially what they did with Kiva. So, um, but for now, the companies that are smaller, you know, and they're seeing that they kind of need to get into automation in some aspects to kind of keep up maybe with some of these larger companies. How, how do you recommend and how do you see that these smaller businesses can start to enter into automation and kind of adopt these technologies, um, I guess with little smaller resources? Yeah, and, and maybe if, if you don't mind, I'll start is in terms of, you know, CombiLift as a company, mm. we're, we are not targeting the companies that are very much solely focused on automation, like the Amazons. In mm. fact, our target audience is the smaller to medium sized businesses. Mm. And and what I would say, I mean, even though we might think, you know, automation, it's, it is a big investment and, 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 and you know what it, it is for many companies, but there's, I look at automation very much, you need to really develop it in different stages or in stepping stones, mm. because I think the smaller company that doesn't effectively run an efficient warehouse management system today, they should not be really seriously investing in automation because that's the first step to automation. Because if you if you can't if you can't manage your inventory like clockwork with with a, an MRP or a warehouse management system today, putting in an automated process of any kind is even just going to cause more disruption to the business. Um, but I think the other thing I I I like to see you know the smaller to medium sized companies. They're always looking a different edge, 
And I mean, they, they're very nimble, the smaller to medium sized companies, mm. they will make the, you know, the warehouse system, management system, they'll, they'll make, they'll maximize it around their particular, uh, what they call business, because the reality is a smaller company, if it's not efficient, it won't survive. So they are really looking at efficiency from the ground, which I think is a great system, you know, to develop automation that's going to stick with the company. But I, I really see the small to medium sized companies, they are really looking at how do I automate, optimize the process I'm doing today before I invest in automation. And when they optimize that process, they're already at a great stage to, to incorporate automation. And, and the, the investment is not so much because they've already automated their current process. They've made it efficient. They have made you know the process as efficient as it possibly can. Then the automation is just another step along the way, even though it is an investment. But then it's really just, it's reducing labor. It's adding safety. But the decision is not such a big one. Yeah, yeah, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, we we, we deal with some of those big uh big warehousing uh, giants and and you're absolutely right they, they can kind of throw money at the problem and I think if you looked at the gains per dollar of R&D that they get it, it's it's not huge and, and honestly I think the, the 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 maturity of autonomy today has reached the point now where the smaller companies can invest a relatively small amount and get a pretty significant gain, you know, if they're smart about it. And, and I think what Martin said makes sense. You know, if you can't if you can't run an MRP or a WMS properly, you, jumping to automation is just not going to solve your problem. Okay. Um, so it makes sense that that that's almost I hadn't I hadn't heard this before, but I think Martin's right that that's really the beginning of automation in, in a in a warehouse because you know if you can't automate your data, you're not going to automate the physical movement of goods uh, because that's much harder. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a it's a stepped process, and and we're going to see it. I think over time become easier and easier for smaller companies to take this on as machines become uh, more mature and software becomes more uh, easily integratable into those kind of processes. Okay, yeah, interesting stuff. I think um, I agree with you guys both. I mean, I think that you need to kind of have the your processes in place and solidified to even know what you're what you're going to automate in the first place um so so i think that's kind of that's kind of been a little little theme i think that's been running through our conversation here so um so really really interesting and um yeah i think that you know overall it sounds like from you guys that automation is <clears throat> is advancing and through the pandemic it's still still kind of pushing through maybe even pushing through faster than it would have without the pandemic um but obviously you know we need to keep Keep in mind safety, as you both mentioned. So I'm, I'm really happy that you guys brought that into the conversation because I think that's always, um, always kind of uh, number one. So, so I want to thank you guys for uh, coming on the show today and talking to us um, for the uh, November 2020 cover story for Material Handling Wholesaler Magazine. Um, so, Nathan, how can people find out more information about Fort Robotics? Uh, probably the easiest way these days is. Way it is for everybody. Go to our website, <laughs> fortrobotics.com. We have uh, a lot of information up there, and you can get in touch with us. And you know, we we do we do a lot of we have a lot of standard products. Um, interestingly, one of the more common ones is a game style safe remote control, which plays right into what Martin said about needing to kind of we meet meet uh, people where they are today rather than the 
big old style remote control, something they're familiar with. So uh, you can find a lot of information about our products and technologies uh, on our website. Okay. And Martin, how yeah. can we find out more about uh, CombiLift? <clears throat> Probably as, as Nathan alluded, it looks for CombiLift very much the, the, the World Wide Web, the www.combiliftalloneword.com. Mm -hmm. But for North America, you know, we have a team of 34 people on the ground. We have a dealer network right across all the states in the U.S. So we have users of our product right across all the states and, and, and provinces in Canada. So we have reference users. We have demonstration equipment and we have regional product managers on the ground. So at least contact us by, by web and we'll get you in touch with the right people. And um, we, we as a business, you know, no matter what products we're bringing to market today, we know we can continue to improve our products. So very much our business is based on feedback from our clients and potential clients. So, and in North America, we really, we, we see it as very much an innovation driven economy. I mean, and it's great to work with businesses that are open to innovation and how to, you know, cause every, every small step of in, innovation does not all have to be radical for businesses to, to keep improving and growing. So, Thank you very much for, for uh, including me in, in this podcast, Kevin, today. So thank you. Definitely, yeah. And we'll definitely post um, all that information at thenewwarehouse.com as well. Um, and just as a final reminder, this is for the November 2020 cover story. Um, to read that article and the whole issue, go to mhwmag.com. So Martin and Nathan, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. You've been listening to the New Warehouse Podcast with Kevin Lawton. Subscribe and check us out online at thenewwarehouse.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want more content from the New Warehouse, check out our new video series called All Hands on LinkedIn. Just search for the New Warehouse on LinkedIn and follow along.